Today's reading comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue, synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him, except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Hello, my name's Robin. I work for the Diocese of Melbourne, managing their Preventing Violence Against Women programme. I've been attending Mary Creek Anglican Church for almost two and a half years now. And this morning I'm really excited to share with you some, some thoughts on a passage that's really close to my heart, especially in relation to my line of work and my passion in the area of partnering with God um, to create a world where everyone feels safe, um, equal and valued. It's not going to be a full exegesis. Um, instead, I want to explore a few key reflections in relation to the passage and this topic. Uh, consider it as a conversation starter. So in this passage in Luke 8, we see two very different people seeking Jesus' help. We see how Jesus responds, dashing expectations and challenging people's assumptions. And it's an episode that we see in three of the Gospels. It's still early days in Jesus' ministry, um, but he started to build a reputation for provoking teaching, healing people, and asking questions about what's lawful and what's not. And there are two main characters. Jairus comes to Jesus because his only daughter is dying. Jairus is a man of influence. He's a synagogue leader. He would have been at the centre of Jewish life. He was connected and respected. And we know his name. The other person is a woman, unknown and unnamed. She's been bleeding non-stop for 12 years. She is an outcast, considered unclean and unable to worship and live in community because of her condition. 
According to Leviticus 15, verses 25 to 30, her bleeding made her ceremonially unclean and required her to socially distance. Merely touching someone else would have also made them unclean. She was most likely shunned, even by her own family, and she's endured 12 long, lonely and probably painful years of this. Both of these people have a sense that maybe, just maybe, Jesus might be the answer to their desperate situations. And both take a risk in approaching Jesus and in doing so publicly. But we also have to remember that there's the crowd there and the disciples and that most of the passage takes place in this public setting. In fact, the passage opens with crowds waiting for Jesus and welcoming him. Given Jesus' reputation, they're expecting something momentous, perhaps even controversial to happen, and they won't be disappointed. Jairus, the Jewish leader, comes to Jesus. He falls at his feet and pleads for him to come to his house to help his dying daughter. There's already something shocking here. A leader, a man of authority, humbles himself publicly at the feet of a man many are still viewing quite dubiously. Jesus accepts, and as he is making his way to Jairus' house, the crowds are pushing in on him from every direction. I imagine it's a bit like rush hour in a capital city today, although perhaps not during lockdown. Pushing and leaning and wriggling and bodies contorting... I wonder how Jairus' anxiety levels were, as the crowds no doubt slowed down their pace. This is certainly not what you need in an emergency. In this bustling crowd, the woman approaches Jesus to touch his cloak, in the hope that he might heal her. In the 12 years when Jairus has enjoyed having a daughter and seeing her grow, this woman has been in social isolation. She's been living in lockdown for 12 years and no one's been able to heal her. Somehow she's heard of Jesus. And when we read this story in Matthew, it says that she thought, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Part of the reputation that Jesus is building is that he's healing many people. And at the beginning of the chapter, we see Jesus is traveling around, not just with his 12 disciples, but with women disciples as well, including some that he's cured, women who financially support his ministry, and women who will go on to be the witnesses of the resurrection. Because the woman is unclean and cut off from community, living with stigma and shame, she wants to approach Jesus discreetly without her situation being exposed. For this reason, she comes up behind him and seeks only to touch the hem of his cloak. As soon as she does, she is instantly healed. What a sharp contrast to the previous 12 years of unsuccessful treatment. In the time it takes her to brush against Jesus' cloak, her deepest hope becomes reality. At this point, Jesus could have simply continued on his way to Jairus' house. This is an emergency situation, after all, and 
Jairus is quite an important man in the community. However, much to our surprise, Jesus seems to stop and ask the crowd, Who touched me? Everyone seems to deny it, and Peter even seems to slightly mock Jesus' question. But Jesus knows something significant has happened, so he stops. Here we see that Jesus doesn't show favouritism. Despite the vast social differences, Jesus treats the woman, Jairus, and Jairus' daughter as they are, all image bearers of God and of equal value. Australian culture tends to have a preference for the underdogs. We tend to sympathise with them more naturally than we do with the powerful. But it's worth remembering here that this wouldn't have necessarily been the expectation of the woman, of the crowd or of the disciples. In fact, the woman was probably expecting Jesus to respond with a sharp rebuke or a critique for making him unclean. And yet, rather than overlooking her or quickly moving on, Jesus gives her his full attention and he sees her as equally worthy of his time. Jesus is reorientating power and reversing the status quo here. So the woman comes forward and falls at, her, and falls at his feet. Unlike Jairus, she does so trembling. This was not what she had signed up for. She was hoping to do this unnoticed. She would have had to touch quite a few people to get through that crowd and to get close to Jesus. And they wouldn't have been very pleased to find that this out. Because this would mean they would be richly unclean too. Our current experiences of Covid social distancing restrictions really help us to understand, perhaps more than we ever have, the social pressures and expectations here. In the presence of the people, in response to Jesus' question, the woman tells her story. Remarkably, Jesus has created a space for her to speak publicly, to share her story and to have her voice heard. This would have been very countercultural. Jesus listens without interrupting and treats her with respect. And then... Instead of rebuking her, he publicly honours and commends her before the crowd, affirming, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. We see that physical healing is not enough. He also wanted to heal her socially, to restore her to community. And that's what he does when he says, Your faith has healed you. And he uses intimate language of daughter, which includes her as a valued member in the family of God. Even if her family has shunned her, she is a daughter in God's eyes. Precious to him, just like Jairus' daughter was to her earthly father. This meant she could now worship at the temple, earn money and be accepted back in society. Jesus had used his power to draw her from the margin to the centre. What I find particularly striking is that Jesus goes beyond responding to the immediate needs of the individual in front of him. 
He also sought to use his power to challenge the wider culture of his day and its unjust and harmful beliefs, expectations and practices, which had denigrated and excluded the woman and others like her in the first place. He didn't just speak out and criticise, he also modelled another way. In the back of everyone's minds, of course, is also Jairus' daughter and the need to hurry. Then the bombshell hits. News arrives that it's too late. Jairus' daughter has died. I wonder how Jairus felt. Anger, betrayal, frustration. If only Jesus had been there sooner. If only he hadn't been distracted by the woman. These questions and a sense of Jesus turning up too late to save a life foreshadow the later story of where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and we see that Martha is asking similar questions before he does so. Jesus reassures Jairus and exhorts him to do exactly the same thing as the woman has done. He holds her up as a model of faith. Just believe and she will be well. This is an unusual and challenging example to give a religious man. When Jesus eventually arrives at Jairus' house, he is met with mourning crowds. When Jesus tells them that the girl is not dead but asleep, they mock him. Then, in the intimacy of the family home, Jesus simply takes the girl's hand and says, My child, get up. In Mark's recounting, Jesus says, Little girl, I say to you, arise. At his words, she rises from the dead. This is the first resurrection story we hear about in the Gospels, and it's the resurrection of a little girl. In a society where men and boys would have been considered of greater value than women and girls, Jesus chooses to raise a little girl first. Consider how powerful that still is today, when we're still considering that doing anything like a girl is an insult. And Jesus' instruction for her to eat after being brought back from the dead also foreshadows the breakfast he will later share with his disciples when he's been raised from the dead. A little girl is a precursor to this cosmic reordering and restoration that is to follow. Indeed, through her, it's already unfolding. Jesus' treatment of the woman and Jairus' daughter was, was certainly con- countercultural for its time. But this wasn't an isolated incident. We see time and time again in the Gospels that Jesus' interactions with women are quite striking. He disregards discrimination and damaging cultural norms. He refuses to treat them as inferior and instead welcomes and values their company, their conversation, their support, their testimony, their witness. He honoured women, he taught women, and he listened to them. When we look at the evidence, and when we listen to women's stories, we see that the radical nature of Jesus' message and his example 2,000 years ago are still really relevant today, and needed today. 
Sometimes we can overlook the fact that, to varying degrees in Australia, women still do not experience equal access to power, resources and opportunities as men. Women who do face additional layers of discrimination encounter even more barriers. And there's still a normalisation of attitudes and behaviours that are disrespectful towards women. To paint a picture... Women earn, on average, $242.90 per week less than men, and they retire with approximately half the level of retirement savings as men. Women spend twice as many hours on unpaid care work as men. Women are significantly underrepresented in sports coverage, parliaments, in sources quoted by the media, and as leaders in the church. And as you will have seen in the video, violence against women is still highly prevalent. Most women will have one, if not many, Me Too or everyday sexism stories. So what does everyday sexism in Australia look like today? It looks like sexist insults disguised as jokes. It looks like women's views being dismissed or their stories not being listened to. Women being interrupted or spoken over in meetings. Women and girls as sidekicks rather than protagonists in our films and in our books. Or only portrayed in stereotypical ways. It looks like how from every direction women and girls get the message that their true value is in their physical appearance and in how appealing they are to, to men. When I asked some women in Victoria about their experiences of sexism, they were quick to respond and shared stories that they were happy for me to share today. Let me share some of them. One woman said, when I was finishing my master's, I approached a very senior man in the humanitarian field for advice on how to get into the sector. He met with me, but he said there was no point in trying to break into the sector. Young, young women weren't suited to working in humanitarianism because they just went off and had babies. Another example. Standing on the corner of Johnson Street and Nicholson Street at 5.30pm, a carload of men drove by the windows, hollering, one calling, show us your highly offensive word. A personal story. When I arrived at St Paul's Cathedral to preach for Synod in 2018, a man at the entrance asked what my role was. When I said that I was there to preach, he burst out laughing. How striking that the suggestion that a young woman would be invited to speak at a church event, that that is still a hilarious concept. <laughs> Sexism is very real and a common experience for women in Victoria and across Australia. And as you will have seen in the video, some Victorians still believe it's okay to use sexist slang to make sexist jokes and comments and treat women unfairly. And these inequalities and this treatment, they run counter to our belief that all people are created equal in the image of God. All are equally loved, equally worthy of respect 
and equally deserving of opportunities to reach their full potential. This disrespectful and unfair treatment doesn't reflect Jesus' example, especially in Luke chapter 8. And I'm particularly passionate about shifting this culture because it sets the social context which drives higher levels of violence against women. What we know from the research is that when men hold more power than women across society, when women are not treated with the same level of respect as men, when sexist attitudes and behaviours are common, when we promote beliefs that men should be in control and make all the decisions, when women's voices are not equally heard and their contributions are not equally valued, when this is our culture, violence against women is a lot more likely. Jesus challenged the way that the culture and the norms of his day disrespected and devalued women. And he is inviting us today to partner with him to create a world where everyone is safe, equal and valued. Here are some questions that might help us to reflect on this prayerfully. We saw in the passage that Jesus created space for the woman's voice and her story to be heard. How can we do this? In the meetings and the group settings that we're a part of, whose voices are being lost or not heard because they're being interrupted or not included? Whose stories and voices do we listen to in our music collection, the books we read, the films we watch, the news we consume, the people we spend time with? Jesus treated the woman with respect and he honoured her publicly. Where have you seen God's intention for equality between males and females not being fulfilled? In the spaces where you work, where you study, where you do sports, um, where you enjoy entertainment. What did you do when you saw this? And what could you do differently next time? And where might we have unintentionally absorbed messages about men being superior to women? How can we learn to recognise these messages that we've all absorbed without realising it and try to change these beliefs in ourselves? And then finally, in this passage, who do you automatically identify with and why might that be? Why not spend some time in prayer identifying with a different character in the story and seeing how God speaks to you through that? Do you need to question some assumptions or some unconscious bias as you do so? So Jesus uses his power in the story to bring healing and human flourishing. I wonder how we each use our power and influence. We all have power and influence to varying degrees, even if we don't realise it? Are we willing to partner with Jesus to shift the culture, including our own attitudes and behaviours, so that everyone can fulfil their potential and know life in abundance? I'll leave that with you to reflect on. Thank you.